Hey, how's everyone going? Good, good. It's great to be here. Jen's giving me some um, a bit of a welcome there. Thank you, Jen. <laughs> hey, I'm wondering. Uh, I'm Kathy, by the way. I'm from Queenbian. We beat you're being overrun by Queenbianites, but but that's a good thing. Uh, Queenbian's been knocked for too many years. Queenbian's a good place. I'm wondering here in the city if you guys ever get food envy. Food envy. Not many people, or at least a couple of people, sort of admitting to food envy. You know, when you, you kind of go to a nice restaurant and, and you order, all the food comes out and you look at the person next to you and go, oh, I wish I ordered that. I wish I ordered that. Sort of a common problem for foodies amongst us. We sometimes struggle to be happy. But, uh, you know, I found a really interesting story about food envy this week as I was looking into this topic and discovered that someone had actually used it to their advantage. So if you grew up in Australia, you probably learnt about Captain Cook, Captain James Cook, yeah? You know that guy? He did these amazing sea voyages in the 1700s, um, you know, charted the east coast of Australia and went around New Zealand and Hawaii and so forth. And the problem in those days, as you're probably well aware, is that they didn't know how to keep food fresh. And so people got scurvy. They didn't have enough fresh food and didn't have vitamin C. So they got this awful disease where their gums would swell up and their teeth would fall out. It was pretty, pretty bad. And people were looking for a solution to this. And Captain Cook was trying a few things. And he noticed that on the German ships, uh, the sailors didn't get scurvy. And he decided, he realised it was because they ate sauerkraut. So he was trying to get his crew members to eat sauerkraut. But, of course, no one wants to eat sauerkraut because it's nasty. And so they wouldn't eat it. And so he came up with this idea. He put it on the captain's table and he served it to all his officers. And he said to the crew, well, you, know, you can have what the officers have if you want. And, of course, they were looking over and going, oh, the officers are eating that. Oh, maybe I actually do want some of that. And actually worked. And he actually fixed the problem on his ship. But it kind of goes to show that, that we have this ongoing problem. It's a historical problem that we're often looking at what someone else has and wanting it. You know, we talk about the problem young people have today with social media and comparison and people going um, on Facebook and making them feel sad because they see everyone else's amazing photos, holiday snaps and their amazing good looks and very carefully curated, of course, and happy families and... And, and people compare with each other on social media and it makes people feel sad. But this is not a new problem. Humans have always had this problem of wanting what someone else has and looking to the side and going, oh, that person has got it better than me. And God has spoke to this problem 3,000 years ago. We've been looking at God's guide to human flourishing 3,000-year-old legal code, the Ten Commandments. And at, at commandment number 10, this is what it says. Shall not covet your neighbour's wife. Shall not set your desire on your neighbour's house or land, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbour. So God knew what we're like, and he says, you don't have to live like that. The Ten Commandments are not just this, this whole series of don't do this and don't do that. 
This commandment is about how we're meant to live, that we don't have to live always comparing ourselves to others. That's not God's desire for us. And, you know, that this, this, this commandment is written in its historical context. So we might not have a problem with coveting someone else's ox or coveting someone else's donkey. But what about the other things that our neighbour has? Are there things that you covet? Other things that you set your desire on that belong to your neighbour. You know, I probably don't have so much of a problem with material things, but I struggle sometimes with wanting the opportunities that I see other people have, the ministry opportunities, the giftedness of other people. And I can compare myself and think, I wish I was just one of these amazing young leaders in the church. And I've come to this speaking job fairly late in life. If only. I could have started earlier. If only I could have the opportunities that I see these people having. God calls us not to covet. It's dumb. It's dumb to compare yourself with with someone else and set your desire on what someone else has. The problem is knowing what is right is not enough. That doesn't fix the problem. One of the things I'd love you to do this week is read through Romans 7 and Romans 8. It's one big chunk. It's really interesting to read through Romans 7 because the Apostle Paul actually uses this example of coveting to build his case about the law. He's this amazing, zealous Jew. He knows the law and he knows the law is good and he even wants to obey it and yet he finds himself incapable of obeying it. The law is holy but it doesn't fix the problem with our heart. It actually shows up our sin. And Paul says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And, of course, we know the answer to that. We've been talking over the last few weeks about how Jesus provided for us. He fulfilled the law on our behalf so we could receive the gift of righteousness. That that, um, even though we can't do it ourselves, he comes and fulfills it for us and gives it to us as a gift if we are willing to humble ourselves before him and say, Jesus, I need you, I can't do this. And, and Paul, um, thanksgiving just rises up in his heart. He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. And I hope, right, I hope um, thankfulness rises up in your heart as well as you realise what Jesus has done, realise that he's fulfilled the law, that he's taken that burden, taken that effort. I was talking to um, a wonderful believer at... Um, at North this morning and he was talking about, he wasn't from a Jewish background, he was from another kind of background which is also very legalistic and he said he found himself in that position, the position of Paul in Romans chapter 7, knowing he wanted to be good but unable to do it and only when he got a revelation of of the grace provided in Jesus was he able to be set free. That's what's been provided for us And, and we too rejoice in the gift that Jesus has given us. And we experience the Spirit now giving us a new heart 
so that the law is now written on our heart. It's not an external thing. And the Spirit wants to come and help us and help us to reflect the life of God. And Paul talks about the life of lived in the Spirit, that we have to now um, not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. We've got to live in the Spirit. We've got to walk in the Spirit. And we kind of know that and we can rejoice in the gift of God and know that we've been given a new heart and yet still somehow walk out of church and walk back into our circumstances. And maybe you experience some kind of disappointment and you go, well, my friends haven't gone through that. Why do I have to go through this? Why can't I be like that person? Or maybe there's some kind of financial struggle and you're sort of in circumstances where you can't have the things, the material things that other people have and you look to the side and you go, well, that's not fair. I want that thing. And coveting comes back and it rises up again. So even though we've got a new heart, there can still be this battle in the mind where God needs to come and fill us with his spirit again. And I want to unpack that struggle a little bit because I know it's real for believers. I know it's real because I've struggled with it and I know it's real because James writes about this in his letter to believers. This is what he says in James chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. It's a pretty awful state of affairs for a, for a group of believers who's, who, who their desire is out of control and they're wanting what other people have to the extent that murder has been committed quarrelling and fighting. But Paul, um, sorry, James kind of gives us a clue about what the underlying problem is with coveting. It's about desire that battles within us. It's desire that drives covetousness. So I want to try and unpack the idea of desire and how we deal with desire as believers. And I just want to talk about two things briefly about desire. The first thing I want to say is that desire is not wrong. Having desire, having longing is not wrong. You know, Buddhism will teach that um, you've got to remove all desire. Desire is evil. And only when you detach yourself from desire, only when you push desire away and get rid of desire will you ever reach any kind of state of perfection. But Christianity teaches the opposite. Christianity says desire is part of creation. You know, we're supposed to desire the good things that God has provided in creation. We're supposed to desire um, our marriage partner. We're supposed to desire friendships that are deep and fulfilling. We're supposed to be passionate about justice and passionate about creativity and passionate about using our gifts. We're not meant to um, get rid of desire. And that's implicit in this James passage because he says, when you ask... The idea, there's an assumption there that when you have a desire, you will ask God for it. But he says, you don't receive when you ask with wrong motives. So it's not desire itself that's the problem, it's the direction of desire. And desire needs to be redirected away from sinful things towards the things of God. And when, when it's rightly directed, we can ask God and he's going to fulfil us. 
fulfill our desires. Um, I've gone down a little bit of a C.S. Lewis wormhole this week. I have to share with you this. Um, if you could put that up. I can't see who's there. <laughs> so, so C.S. Lewis talks about this idea that, that Christianity isn't about pushing down desire and squashing it away. He says, um, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospel, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I love that. I love that because, you know, He's, he's trying to explain that when we just desire the things of the world, it's just like playing with mud pies. But God wants us to be passionate about much greater things. He wants us to be passionate about using our gifts and um, passionate about righteousness and passionate about sharing the gospel. He doesn't want anyone being lukewarm. So, so desire is not wrong. We're supposed to long to enjoy the things of God and the blessing of creation. But our desires must be transformed and rightly directed. And the 10th commandment reminds us that as we seek to have our desires redirected, we're not supposed to set, well, we're not to set our desire on something that our neighbour has. So I want to encourage you this week to bring your desires to God, bring your longings to God and allow him to shape them. Second thing I want to encourage you to do, that as you come to God with your longings, come as a little child, come as a little child. I'm not sure how many of you have kids here. I'm guessing not that many of you have kids. <laughs> but, um, you know, kids are amazing. If you, you know, go and serve in the children's church one day because, because kids, you know, they'll make a picture and then they'll bring it to their parents, and it's the crappiest picture you've ever seen. But the parents are like, oh, that's amazing, you know? You know, Cade, when Tommy comes with his picture, Cade's not, he's a wonderful father, he's not going to say, Tom, that's a dreadful picture, you don't draw things like that. No, that's not what the father does. And, um, you know, my, when my kids would come home from school, they, they would go through this stage, maybe Jen can explain what the stage is in child development, but they draw people as stick creatures, and then you get a circle for the hand and then you get five long pointy fingers coming out. So you come out looking like Wolverine, you know, and, and you know, they bring the home and go, oh, here's a picture of you, mummy. And, you know, you don't say that's the ugliest picture of me I've ever seen in my entire life. No, you put it on the fridge because, you know, you rejoice in that, that stage of child development. And so I just want to encourage you to come as children to the father and know that maybe you're not as great as the person sitting next to you in church. Maybe you're not, um, you know, you don't share the gospel as comfortably as they do or, I don't know, you, you're not as warm as they are. Well, you know, don't compare yourself. Come to the Father as a little child. He, he rejoices in where you are at. And, um, you know, the work of Jesus on the cross to set us free, to fulfil the law on our behalf, that's not the end of it. The Spirit then comes and makes us children of God. I want to read you this bit in Romans 8, and I want you to go away and read all the bits around it. Can we just have the next one? 
Yeah. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. You know, I think comparison makes you live in fear. You go, oh, not good enough. And that fear comes upon you that you've got to try harder. No. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. I want you to think about what that means to you. God loves you as a father. The Spirit has done this work in us so we can be adopted So now we get to be heirs and not only heirs, we get to share in the glory of God. We get these amazing shares. Forget buying shares in Google. You've got shares in the glory of God. And and how good is that, you know? And, and, And if you don't know God tonight, if you don't know him as father, I want to tell you God loves you and he's calling you into a relationship with him. He wants you to come and receive Jesus so that you can be made right. If you don't know God tonight, I really encourage you to speak to someone afterwards and and get adopted into, into the Father's love. But if you're a follower of Christ today, then you are an heir. You are a daughter. You are a son of God. And and that sense of God's love, that sense of God's value is a protection against that sense of comparison that we sometimes struggle with. You know, um, we can can be satisfied where we're at. Um, You know, if there's something keeping you from, from calling out Abba Father, if there's some sin, then confess that, get rid of it. But God is is happy to receive us on our journey where we're at. And he wants to rejoice in you. And I've, I've got this friend at work and I'm trying to share, I'm trying to read the Bible with him and I'm making these struggling, fumbling attempts. And I'm looking forward to Tina next weekend because I need to get more confident. But I know when I bring that to the Father, instead of saying, oh, I'm so bad at evangelism, I so suck, um, I wish I was like Cade, um, instead of doing that, I go, no, I bring my efforts to the Father. And he's going, yeah, great, good on you. Keep going, keep, keep, keep learning. And so I encourage you to, in, to realise that you are special and unique. You don't have to be like anybody else. That you have got a special contribution to the kingdom of God. And as you come to God as Father, um, you get to, to feel the value that God has for you. And you can just kind of get on with it. Get on with doing what God has called you to do that nobody else can do. Nobody else is going to talk to my friend Miles at work about the gospel. So he's stuck with me and my fumbling attempts. And, you know, the people in your life that only you can minister to because you're in the right place for them. And so I just want to encourage you, don't give up and keep going on this path um, of, of you being you. You know, it's such a waste of time comparing yourself with someone else. What a waste of time. Let's just get on doing what God's called you to do. So... <clears throat> As we come to God as a child, we start to sense that delight that the Father has in us and, um, and we get to see his joy and feel his joy as he sees, hey, my daughter is developing into the person I created her to be and there's so much joy there in that. 
Another C.S. Lewis quote. I apologise, but I love this. What may happen when the redeemed soul learns at last that she has pleased him who she was created to please? She will most innocently rejoice in the thing that God has made her to be. And the moment which heals her old inferiority complex forever will also drown her pride. As we come to God with a childlike spirit, we just appreciate more and more how valued we are as sons and daughters and heirs and partakers. So I just encourage you to this week to soak in God's acceptance of you. And then that need to compare and to covet is going to shrink away. We live in a very competitive world. There's all this comparison going on, you know, whether you're university, whether you work, oh my goodness, the public service, merit-based systems, always trying to prove that you're better than somebody else. It's the world we live in, but as believers we can come into that place and know his love and know his acceptance. So I just encourage you in that. So just these few thoughts this week, read Romans 7 to 8 this week and bring your longings to Jesus with a childlike heart. I just want to say one brief word about unfulfilled desire and longing. You know, we live in the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. So we get to experience so much of the kingdom of God by his spirit now. But and yet it's not complete. It's not fulfilled. If you keep reading through, through Romans chapter 8, you see that it talks about creation groaning. And sometimes we groan with creation because we wait in expectation. We wait for fulfilment, complete fulfilment of all our desires when the kingdom of God comes. And so there will be an element of groaning in this life. And, um, you know, if you have experienced a grief or a deep disappointment in your life that you know can only be healed when Jesus returns, I'd love, I just want you to know that God hears, sees you and loves you. And I would love to hear your story. If you send me a message, we can catch up and I'd love to pray with you. One more C.S. Lewis quote. If I find in myself desires, nothing in this world can satisfy. I can only conclude that I was not made for here. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you, you know what makes us tick. You made us. You made us works of art. And um, you want us to grow on our journey. As little children, we make struggling efforts, but you love us and encourage us and you want to bring us to completion. God, help us. And I pray that you'd help us to um, be connected in your spirit as well that your spirit would help us to experience the Father's love in a deeper way. I pray, God, that you'd help us to bring our longings to you this week and that you teach us what it is to ask rightly so that you can bless us and fulfil our desires. In Jesus' name, amen.